is Encounters with Jesus with Dr. Ellie Gonzalez and Malcolm Pollard. Brought to you by Good News Unlimited, taking you through the life of Jesus in a powerful and practical way. Ellie, Encounters with Jesus, always good to hear. You got one for us today. What are we talking? Yep, I do, I do, and it's a biggie. It's from Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's how he started it. We're going to look at his Beatitudes, as they're called. And the Beatitudes are a series of little sayings, you know, blessed are the, blessed are the, that's the Beatitudes. All right, so tell us about the Beatitudes. Yeah, the interesting thing is that in the Gospels, what most people remembered from Jesus' teachings were his stories, a story here, a story there, or little sayings that Jesus said, right? So that's how the memory works. Remember, the Gospels are eyewitness accounts. But... This sermon he preached was so important that it's actually in all of the uh, three synoptic gospels, as we call them, Matthew, Mark and Luke, Mm. in various forms. This sermon is also important because it was right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, you know, like companies, if you're working in a business, they like to have a, a vision statement. You mm-hmm. get a new new boss and we've got a new vision statement, you know, and we all sign up to the vision statement. So this is like Jesus establishing his vision statement, right? right. This is what I'm all about. Everything that happens from here on in is going, to, is going to align with this. So that's the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes, as I said, is the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. We trivialise the, the word blessed, you know, in our culture, and really, unless you're a Christian or spiritual in some way, you don't use the word, you know, blessed. Blessed are, you know, it's even old English pronunciation, sure. King, you know, blessed. We don't use that in normal, normal language. But in the time of Jesus, what the word actually meant was to be supremely happy, blissfully happy. That's okay. what it means, yeah. right? It's not a, a, word, a spiritual word that means that a light beam shines on you from parted clouds and suddenly sure. surrounded in a bubble of happiness, right? It means that whatever you're doing now, you are supremely happy, mm. right? That's what Jesus is saying. And he wants us to be supremely happy, blissfully happy. That's literally what the word means in, in, the, in the Greek. Some people translate it as happy, but it's not just happy. It's blissfully mm, happy, mm. supremely happy, right? It's the happiest you could Super imagine. Happy, yeah. Super happy. <laughs> but the odd thing about this series of little sayings, the Beatitudes, is that the things that Jesus is saying are going to make us blissfully happy are the things in that culture, and in our culture as well, that we would think would make us supremely sad right. and unhappy. Like it says, you know, blessed are the poor. You know, when you did your New Year's resolutions and set your financial targets for the year, did you write down as one of them, this year I wish to be poor? I don't think so. I've given up on New Year's resolutions decades (laughs) ago, but you get the picture. What about supremely happy or blessed are those who mourn? When's the last funeral you went to and you looked around at a bunch of supremely happy people, blissfully happy? It's a bit of a downer, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, like it's weird. This is bizarre. Mm. And you can imagine as Jesus starts to speak that the people are just gobsmacked. They're astonished, right? Blessed are the humble in that culture, in our culture, you know, humility doesn't get much of a run in terms of, you know, worthwhile attributes to get ahead in life. Mm. We call it people skills, but that's basically how you manipulate other people to get what you want. And humility is the opposite. Sure. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Well, these people knew all about hunger and thirst. And let's just pause here a moment, right? Because what we've got to remember, let's think about the audience. Mm. Jesus seated on a hillside because they didn't have mics and PA systems and there were thousands of people 
seat of the... Now, they knew how to make their voice carry, precisely because they didn't have PA systems. They knew, mm-hmm. you know, I used to be a teacher, so I know how to use my teacher voice. It sounds something like this, and uh, it's more like a radio voice, isn't it? <laughs> you know, project a lot more yeah. than you would normally. That's right, yeah. Mm. Read the terms and conditions. So that's, that's coming more from the diaphragm. And uh, speakers in previous generations, when, you know, you didn't have amplification, they knew how to project their voice, and it was much more like I'm speaking now. The other thing is that they would uh, pick places where their sound would be amplified, natural amphitheatres, sure. you know, in, in yeah, valleys yeah. and on the sides of hills. and, and Acoustics things. would help. Yeah, Dave, and so you can imagine the setting. Mm. But the people who were there, thousands of them, you know, don't think that, you know, they were small business people and uh, the landowners and all that sort of thing. No. We've actually uncovered hundreds of skeletons from first century Judea and uh, what we found is uh, that uh, they lived in extreme poverty. Mm. Every single one of those skeletons show the signs of of the diseases of extreme malnutrition. Mm. I know it's shocking for us. Mm. You know, we watch the Jesus movies and all these happy people dressed in clean robes and, you know, they all look well fed. Uh -uh. Not the case. Not the case. So why was that the case? Well, that was because these people had been conquered by the Romans and they were oppressed by the Romans and everything they produced was basically taken through them through tax to Rome and the extortionate tax collectors. And, you know, for context, they didn't like the Romans. <laughs> they, <laughs> they hated the Romans. Wonder why. Right? Yeah. They were subsistence farmers who didn't know where their meals were going to come from. Mm. They couldn't feed their children. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, well, they knew all about that. Mm. But hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. God blesses those who work for peace. And again, this is really relevant in that context. As you can imagine, there were all sorts of political movements. The whole nation was in turmoil and they wanted to overthrow the Romans. In fact, within a generation, the whole country of Judea and Galilee, the whole, you know, the whole region rose up in rebellion against Rome uh, in, in one of the greatest rebellions against Rome that history records, you know, the Jewish revolt. So the, the country was a hotbed of mm, hatred mm, mm. against Rome, you know, lots of different sects and quasi-religious terrorist groups that would uh, try to kill as many Romans and Roman sympathisers as possible, a lot of different ideologies. But Jesus said, blessed are those who work for peace for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So do you reckon the reaction was just one of, who is this guy? Yeah, because what they'd come to hear is something that aligned with their religious values. Blessed are you when you come to church faithfully, (laughs) because God will give you lots of material prosperity. Blessed are those who work for the earthly establishment of the kingdom of God and against Rome, for God will bless you with victory in this world. So this whole sermon was countercultural, and yeah. they were just going, Well, that's the point. Mm. Blessed are those, you know, who know how to enjoy a good party. That's happiness in life, is to go from one great Feast celebration, you know, whether it's at church, church can be a great celebration, you know, or a birthday party, whatever it is, because you're enjoying the best of life. Instead, it says, blessed are those who mourn. Where do you mourn at funerals? What's Jesus saying? Mm. I think what he's saying is he's establishing the values of, of his kingdom in contrast to the values of this world. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's talking about blessed are the poor, he's not talking about specifically those who are materially poor. He's talking about that spiritual poverty that drives us to recognise that we need Jesus in our lives. Mm. 
No one ever came to salvation for the right reasons without knowing that they desperately needed Jesus in their lives. If you go to a church or belong to a church because you need more prosperity in your life, because you need more health in your life, and that's the main reason, they're all good reasons, I guess. But if that's the main reason, well, you've got to evaluate. Which set of values are you aligning yourself with here, right? Mourning. Well, that's one of the hardest Beatitudes, isn't it? Mourning, because, like, who enjoys mourning? And I think what Jesus is saying here is that in the kingdom of God, there is a blessing in everything. God can turn everything into a blessing, even mourning, Mm -hmm. even the sad times, even the difficult times in life. But that only happens for the citizens of the kingdom. It only happens for his children because you can only see it and grow through it. You can only see the hardest times as opportunities for, for growth when you are connected with, with God through Christ and then the Holy Spirit can show you. You understand how to see it from his perspective. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. I mean, if there were no hard times in life, uh, would you ever grow? Unlikely. You know, I was talking with my, with my son earlier this week. You know, he's 22. He was telling me that most people his age he knows are on antidepressants and most of them spend most of their time playing computer games and can't face the real, the real world. And, and I'm listening to this, and I didn't engage much. He was talking to, to my wife, and I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, people just got to toughen up. Mm. I mean, we will go through hard times. We will go through mourning. And, like, in previous generations, it went through world wars and through yeah. depressions and, and whatnot. And what I think is that I belong to a generation that's had it really easy, and I've made it really easy for my kids, and we've got a whole generation. Well, soft. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've got a whole generation that all they try to do is to avoid suffering and mourning. Mm-hmm. Instead of knowing that they're going to face it and seeing that at the end of the day there's value in it. Supreme happiness comes from that. How are you going to grow? You know, you never see the view unless you climb the mountain. That's hard. If you want to invite me to something I'm not going to do, invite me on a bushwalk up a hill. Right? I I hate it. I'm not very fit. Right? I just hate the feeling of the legs don't want to work and the lactic acid. But as my wife is telling me, it's good for me. And this is sort of the idea that's here. You know, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or for justice, we might say. That's countercultural in the world. The world doesn't seek justice, doesn't seek righteousness, doesn't seek what is right and what is fair. It seeks what is mine, mm-hmm. what I can get. What's the best for me. What's the best for me, right? So every one of these is, is completely countercultural. Blessed are those whose hearts are pure. What's that talking about? That's, that means whose hearts are purely set on God, who put God first, you know, whose hearts are untainted by other priorities. But, of course, we've got a problem here, Malcolm. The problem is? <laughs> the problem is that in the Beatitudes, Jesus is establishing a, a standard of spiritual perfection that none of us can meet. Mm-hmm. None of us can meet. I mean, which one of us perfectly realises our need for him? Which, which one of us perfectly learns from suffering? Which one of us has perfectly pure hearts before him? Which... Which of us, above all things, hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice in our lives and in the world? Which of us are perfectly humble? None of us. So what do we do with this, Malcolm? Chuck it out? I don't think so. No. And that is a correct answer. No, you can't, because Jesus is establishing here the constitution of his kingdom, if you like. Mm. The laws, if you like, the principles. I wouldn't call them laws, the principles by which he wants his kingdom to work and that he wants us to live by. Now, you know, in any society, in any nation like Australia, we've got road rules. We all agree to them, but do we perfectly follow them? Mm -hmm. 
Not if you're 15 and looking for a licence and testing. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, no, we don't. Or if you're an experienced driver. No, we don't, right? And Jesus knows that none of us fulfil fulfills these perfectly, but they're his ideals for his kingdom and for our lives. And his kingdom isn't just in heaven. Every person who believes in him and has accepted him as, as their saviour is part of his kingdom as well. His kingdom is in our hearts as well. Mm. And so he wants the ideals of his kingdom to be manifested and reflected even imperfectly here on this world and for us to work towards it. Later on, a little bit later on in, in the same sermon, we have the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And wouldn't it be a much better society if the principles in the Beatitudes were implemented here on earth? Mm. But the problem is it goes against every single ideology we have, whether it's capitalism, communism, every single human political system, every single yeah. way of humanly relating. So you see, we put his kingdom first. We pursue his principles first while living in this world. I'm not saying it's easy, it's, it's hard. Mm. That's why we're going to fall and fail many times. But, you know, there is another thing that's, I think, very important about the Beatitudes and the teachings of Jesus generally, and that is that they're a foundational part of what makes Western civilization different to every other civilization that has existed in the world. Because Western civilization has been powerfully impacted by the Beatitudes and the teachings of Jesus generally. Mm. And a lot of the principles that we hold dear in the West and that originate from Western civilization, human rights and, yep. and justice and, and a democratic system that gives a free vote and equal votes to all, including women, uh, our system of law, all these things have fundamental roots in the Beatitudes, even though we belong to a culture that has lost its identity in the sense that we don't explicitly recognise it. I was uh, writing a, another piece about Eleanor Roosevelt, a very devout Christian uh, first lady of the United States who headed up the commission in the United Nations when the United Nations was set up. She essentially drafted the United Nations Charter of Universal Human Rights. Mm -hmm. right? And where would we be in the world without those sort of agreements between nations as much as we can, you know, whinge and grizzle about the United <laughs> Nations, you know, we're all human institutions after all. Sally, just summarise for me how you see the Beatitudes. Wrap them up in a nice bundle for me. Okay. When you unwrap the bundle, there's two smaller bundles, and they're both beautiful bundles. In the first bundle, we find that the blessings of God include and transcend our lives on earth. There's a lot of people who are looking to be blessed here on this earth, and in the Beatitudes, Jesus is, is basically reminding us that it's not all going to be a rose-strewn path. Mm. Our lives on earth, there's going to be suffering and hardship involved. People get disappointed with God if they're not healed, if, you know, sure. all the traumas that can happen down here. And we've got to remember the blessings of God, they start here, but they go on for eternity. And that's, that's a key part of the Beatitudes is, you know, Jesus is asking us to broaden our vision and to have spiritual eyesight, you know, that transcends the values of this world and our society. Mm -hmm. And when you unwrap the second beautiful bundle, to put it very simply, is that the secret to ultimate happiness is to put God first. When you summarise all the Beatitudes, that's the secret to being blissfully happy is to put God first. Towards the end, that Beatitude that says God blesses or blissfully happy, blessed are those whose hearts are pure. These are people who do everything they can to put God first in their hearts mm -hmm. and in their, in their motivations. And the promise is that they will see God. And I love that. This is probably my favourite Beatitude, so I'm, I'm ending on this one. Mm. I think 
You know, there's two ways to see God. Yes, okay, so one day we'll see God face to face, you know, and the kingdom come. That's true. But I'm excited for seeing God today. I'm excited for seeing God right now, for seeing how good he is in my life, Mm. for understanding more of his love for me. Because the more I see God, the more I see the world around me in a different light because I see God and his love in everything. And that's what it means at the end of the day to be blissfully happy. That's the way. The secret to ultimate happiness is to put God first. Encounters with Jesus with Dr. Ellie Gonzalez and Malcolm Pollard. Brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To receive GNU's unlimited daily devotional email, visit goodnewsunlimited.com.